Thanks for tuning in to Mountain View Fellowship's weekly podcast with lead pastor Don Headley. At MVF, our mandate is pointing people to Jesus by fostering relationships. We know Jesus cared for people and placed a lot of emphasis on relationships. So we do too. We believe that we're created for relationship with God and that he gave each one of us a desire to belong. If you'd like more information about MVF, connect with us at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. Let me ask you real quick. We are on uh, the 15th of December. Uh, We are like a week and a half away from Christmas. How many of you are like, that's setting in right now, and you're like, oh my goodness, I haven't even had Christmas yet. We haven't even done half the things I had planned. Like, I haven't had enough Christmas yet. Anybody? Okay. Uh, How many of you are like, um, oh my goodness, I'm done with Christmas. I wish it was over already. Yeah, so some of you as well. So we've got a mix in here. And one of the things about this season that we know is it can get absolutely crazy. It can get out of control and we can lose our way. We can get so tied up in everything that's going on, uh, expectations or or all the, the activities that we actually miss out on Christmas. And so what we've been doing over the last few weeks is a message series entitled An Unexpected Christmas. And it's kind of a play on words you can see up here. We've highlighted expect Christ because we said we didn't want to miss Christ this Christmas. We wanted to make sure that we slowed down, that we, we took things in, that we were, we were meeting with him, and uh, that we wanted to get the most out of this season as much as possible anyway. Now, what we've been doing is we've been going back to the original Christmas story. We've been looking at the story, and we've been drawing out some of the characters, these biblical characters of the original Christmas story. And uh, some of them are well-known, some others aren't. And we've been, we've been pointing out the fact that some of them missed Christ on that first Christmas. And we, we've been drawing out why in hopes that we wouldn't make the same mistake this Christmas. If you were here a few weeks ago, we talked about the, the priests and the teachers of the law, and we said that they missed out. When the wise men came and they said, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? Herod calls on them, and they come in, and they're like, it's in Bethlehem. Everyone's known that. It's been prophesied about for you know, 700 years, we've known. But even in that moment, they wouldn't walk the five miles to Bethlehem to check it out, and they missed out on the first Christmas because they were too familiar with the story. And we challenge you, don't miss it this year. Like, like, read it with new eyes, hear it with new ears, and don't miss Christ this Christmas because you're like, I've been there, done that, I got the t-shirt. Uh, the other character that we addressed last week was the innkeeper. We said that Mary and Joseph came to the end and there was no room for them. And we talked about how the innkeeper missed out on that original Christmas because of busyness. He was too busy whether it was business or life or or chores or demands or whatever it was on his time, he missed out on that first Christmas um, because of busyness. And we we challenged you to slow down. Stop filling your Christmas season with, with meaningless activities, but really, truly expect Christ this season. Now, today, I want to draw out another character. It's the passage we read a couple of weeks ago. We're going to read it again. But there's another character that I want to address today because I think he missed out on Christmas. It's found here in Matthew chapter 2, going to verse 1. It says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from the eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we've come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as, whatever, as was everyone in Jerusalem. 
He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell, it disappeared there, tell me so that I might worship him also. Now, the whole idea behind this today is I want to focus in on King Herod, because I think King Herod missed out on something amazing. He missed out on the birth of Christ. And I think the reason for that is because of fear. I think we can be fearful of Christmas. Now, King Herod was an interesting character. He, he called himself the, the king of Judea. He was, uh, he was of Arab descent. He was a Roman citizen. He wasn't even a Jew, but yet he took on the title king of the Jews. And, and he came in about 37 BC. He began to try to conquer the area. He didn't really accomplish it until he joined forces with the Roman Empire. They sent some soldiers in. He finally uh, you know, oppressed the people at about 34 and took, took full control of Jerusalem. And from 34 until he died, which is about 4 BC, he actually ruled with an iron fist. I mean, he was a cruel, cruel man. I think a lot of it had to do because of his fear. The Jews hated him. I mean, they absolutely hated him. Think about it. He's, he's a foreigner. He's of Arab descent. He is united with the Romans. He's helping the Romans keep the Jews oppressed, and he's calling himself the king of the Jews. I mean, they absolutely hated Herod. Uh, just to kind of give you some personal profile on him, he um, I think was very paranoid. When you do a lot of research on his life, and you can do a ton on King Herod, one of the reasons for it is because he wanted to be called Herod the Great. And so Josephus actually wrote two full book scrolls of nothing but history on Herod the Great. His whole life is recorded, and if you read through that, you'll find out that early on, he was a very ambitious young man, very, and, and built cities, conquered lands, but I think the older he got, the more power that he got, the more crazy and paranoid he got, and he absolutely turned into a ruthless person. I mean, so much so, he was afraid of the coming Messiah. He was afraid of the first Christmas. He was afraid of anyone that might threaten his role or his reign or his kingdom or even his title, King of the Jews. And so he dealt with everyone very ruthlessly to make sure that no one took anything from him. And he would kill anybody that got in his way. Um, some of the problem he had wasn't just the country that he was trying to rule, but it was also his own family. And I think a lot of it stemmed from the fact that, get this, guys, he had 10 wives, right? Just think through that. Like, you can't even, you can't even keep up with the one wife that you have, and he's got 10 of them. And not only that, but they've got all these, these children. A lot of them are young men who are all positioning themselves for the throne as well. And so his home life was in constant turmoil. I mean, his, his, family, his family tried to poison him more than once. 
That should tell you something about him. Like the people closest to him that are supposed to love him are trying to kill him off. And as soon as he gets wind of this, he goes in, he uh, kills his favorite wife, not the one he didn't like, but his favorite wife, because he, th- he thought she was plotting against him. And then that wasn't good enough, and he thought, well, maybe she was hearing it from her, her mom. So he, he executed his mother-in-law, and he killed his, his favorite wife, his mother-in-law. He actually put to death three of his own sons because he said they, they were plotting against him. It was on suspicion of treason, so just kill them. I don't care if they're my sons or not, kill them. This is Herod. This is who we're talking about this morning. Um, he goes on, he kills a couple of his uncles. He killed a couple of his cousins. He had one of his brother-in-laws executed. I mean, he was so paranoid. The more power that he got, the more uh, control that he got, the more he was fearful he was going to lose it. And he just was out of control. What I found interesting is Caesar Augustus actually said of King Herod, he said, I would rather be one of Herod's pigs than one of his sons. If that tells you anything. Caesar himself is talking about King Herod this way. But he allied with him because he knew he could control the area. That was his job. This is exactly what he did. Uh, Now, when it came to the religious leaders, he had all kinds of problems. He was trying to keep them in line, give them what they want, keep them going, keep them hush-hush, keep revolt from happening. But yet, in the midst, he still had to control things. And so, he actually invited the high priest, the Jewish high priest, to his palace in Jericho and, and invited him for a swim. And, and as the story goes, he ended up drowning him in the pool. I don't know if it was an argument or just a pretty violent polo game. I don't know what it was. It, it, water polo can get violent. Anyway, it's, it's one of those things where he killed off the high priest, all because he was fearful of losing what he had. At one point, Herod actually had plotted to bring all the Jewish leaders into a stadium, and he was going to fill the stadium with them, and he was going to kill them all at one time, and he was found out, and it didn't happen. The plot failed, and it caused all kinds of mistrust, as you can imagine, between him and the Jewish leaders. Now, with all that, in, that background in mind, I want to read verse 3 again, because I think so often it's one verse, we read over it, and we don't realize what it means. Verse 3 actually says, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. Does that make a little more sense now? Like, this guy's crazy. He's ruling with an iron fist, and now wise men have showed up and said, there's another king of the Jews? What's going to happen now? And they had all the reason to be worried. They had tons of reason to be disturbed when King Herod was disturbed. Um, King uh, King Herod would get toward the end of his life, and Uh, Five days before he died, he had several of his children slaughtered so that they wouldn't succeed him. Uh, He he actually had them, uh, while he was on his deathbed, he tried to talk his sister and uh, one of his sons into rounding up all the Jewish leaders. And this was his plan. He, He had a big arena underneath one of his palaces, and he said, I want you to invite them in, and then I want you to lock them in. And then when I die, I want you to kill every one of them. And this is what he said. He said, look, I know when I die that the Jews are going to rejoice. And so when I die, I want to give them something to cry about. King Herod was ruthless. He was so fearful of losing what he had. He lived in constant fear. And when the wise men showed up and they asked about the Messiah, it tipped him off 
that there was another king on the scene, that there was something else coming, and he loses it. Um, he, he tells them, look, I want you to go find him, and when you find him, you bring him back, you know, come tell me so that I might go worship him. And, and in verse 12, it actually says this. When it was time to leave, so the wise men went, they, they gave Jesus the gifts, and it says when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. And so they ended up going a different route. They didn't go back. They didn't do what Herod told them to do. They went back another route. And in this, I want you to look at Herod's response. If you skip down to verse 16, it says this. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under based on the wise men's report on the star's first appearance. This is King Herod. This is his fear acting out. And we read this so often, we hear it during the Christmas story, but I want us to, to take this in a little bit differently today. Because this is, this is not fiction. This is not a story being made up. This is, this is history. This is what's happened. And, and what we have is a whole group of people living in Bethlehem who, because Jesus was born there, would lose their sons under the age of two. Soldiers would move in and put to, put to the sword every boy two years or younger. Why? Because Herod is fearful. As I thought through the story, I thought of a few things. We talked about the innkeeper last week. The innkeeper missing out on Christmas because he didn't have room, and, and he, they end up having Jesus in a stable, and, and he's being born in Bethlehem, and, and having no idea what that would bring. That shortly after that, because Jesus is born in Bethlehem, that all the boys in that town would be slaughtered. And my question is this, did the innkeeper have any sons about that age? Would he lose his son in what we refer to as the, the massacre of the innocents? Jesus would come back to this throughout his life. He would, he would enter into Bethlehem, and there's a, a visit that he makes before he goes to the cross where he actually goes to Bethlehem. And my question is, Jesus being Jesus, being God in flesh, would he know as he approached people in Bethlehem, you are one of the families who lost a son because I was born here? Does he say anything to them? Do they know that? Do they, do they understand that the person standing in front of them, when he was born, it was because of his birth here that that cost us our own son? What kind of conversations take place? And see, we're not told all this in Scripture. But people being people, I think there were some conversations. I think there were some tears. But this is all because of Herod's fear. Herod's fear drove him to slaughter all these boys in Bethlehem. Now, he was afraid of the Messiah. He was afraid of that first Christmas because he knew that it was a threat to his own position, his own title, his own kingdom, his own reign. Not only did King Herod miss Christmas, but he tried to kill it. And he went way over the line. Now, you may not have that type of fear. We're talking extreme here. You might not have that type of fear, but I know a lot of people who are afraid of Christmas. I was having a conversation here just recently with somebody, and 
And I said something about, are you ready for Christmas? And she just looked at me and go, and she just said, nope, not even close. And I'm still joking. I'm thinking she's talking about shopping. And so I start to dive into it a little bit more. Are you going to wait till the 24th to get out like me? Or, you know, and she says, no, I wish Christmas would never come. And I thought, man. And so as we begin to talk a little bit more, I found out because of loss in her life, because of some experiences that she's had, she dreads Christmas every year. And I can't even imagine that, having that type of fear. fear. I, I know some people who fear Christmas. It brings up so much anxiety, so much stress for them that they, they miss it because of the fear. They miss really what that season's supposed to be about. Uh, there's people who fear Christmas to the point where they fight it. They tear down nativity scenes outside of courthouses. They file lawsuits. They're, they're, they're afraid of the message that Christmas brings. Now, maybe yours isn't a fear to the point of, of killing somebody. But maybe you do have a fear that causes you to miss Christmas. Maybe, maybe yours is more about maybe a fear of God. Maybe it's, it's the season, what it represents. Like you've heard the story, you know what this means. And if this story is correct, if God did love us so much that he sent his son to die for us, and yet we're still at that place where we're rejecting God, this cannot be a good season. Because if that story's correct, then that means I'm not right with God. Maybe it's a fear of God, a fear of where you stand. If that's you, I want you to know this morning that Jesus, the reason he came, he stepped out of heaven and he came down to earth and he stands with us so that we don't have to question where we stand with God. You need to know that today. There's no reason to be afraid of God. But some of us have a fear of God. Some of us are struggling this Christmas because of a, a fear due to loss. We, we have several, I know, who are going through loss. You've experienced great loss in your life. And this Christmas season just brings it all back up again for you. And that brings about fear. It brings about this I just wish it was over. I just wish we, we wouldn't have to go through this season because it just brings up too much stuff and it's too painful for me right now. Maybe it's a fear of loss, a fear due to loss for you. Maybe it's a fear of imperfections. I know many people who stress out to the nth degree over Christmas because everything has to be perfect. Your fear is that things are not gonna be perfect. Your fear is that everything's not going to be ready. You're not going to, you're not going to be able to do all the things that you want to do. You're not going to be able to have all the things that you, you want to have. You're not going to be able to, to accomplish all the things that you want to have. And, and you're still running around and trying to put things together. And, and you have this fear of things not being perfect. Maybe it's a fear of outcome. You, you are worried about the 26th. You're living under the lie that we talked about a couple of weeks ago where we think that Christmas is going to fix everything. Like we think that by December 26, if we get that red Mercedes or if we get that, you know, that diamond ring or if we get that whatever it is, that by the 26, our life will be perfect and it never works out that way. It always leads to depression. It always leads to disappointment. Maybe it's a fear of outcome for you. 
Like instinctively, you know that's not right. You know it's not going to be perfect, but yet there's still this expectation. You're still thinking, well, maybe. But deep down, you know that's not what's going to happen. So I think for many of us, whether it's a fear of God, whether it's a fear of, uh, due to loss, a, a fear of imperfection, or a fear due to the, you know, the outcome, wonder, wondering how things are going to turn out, whatever it might be for you, I think those types of fears, they actually cause us to miss out on Christmas. We miss out on Christmas. We miss out on the true meaning of Christmas. The fact that Christ came to meet with us, to be with us, to meet us right where we're at in the situation that we're in, regardless of how messy it is. Like, that's why he came, to be a part of that. I don't want you to miss him this Christmas. What we've been doing over the last few weeks is we're using this little lesson that we teach our kids when they're crossing a busy street. Uh, the, The lesson that you teach them is to stop, look, and listen. And we're using that kind of as a rule of thumb for us as we go through the series so that we don't make the same mistakes as some of these, as some of these biblical characters like King Herod. If you're struggling this Christmas because of fear, uh, I want to tell you, stop, look, and listen. Uh, first of all, I want to teach you to stop pretending like you're in control. That's my challenge to you today. Because a lot of the time when, when it's about fear, it's, it's about loss of control. It's about things that we can't control. We worry about things we have no say over. We burn so much time worrying about things like that, trying to control things that we can't control. And every one of us deep down inside, we know we're not in control. You know that. This morning hasn't gone the way that you thought it was going to go. We're not in control. So can we stop pretending like we are? That leads me to the second one, which is look for ways to relinquish control to Jesus. Look for opportunities to say, God, I'm not in control. This is yours. I got to hand this over to you because I can't do it. You know what that is? That's faith. That's just expressing faith, giving God uh, the controls of your life, giving God the controls of the situation, of the season, of the dinner, of the conversation with that family member. Whatever it is for you, you've got to turn that over to Jesus Christ and let him have it because you're not in control of it anyway. Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And yet we seem to think that we can control everything. Let's, let's stop pretending like we're in control, and let's actually look for ways to relinquish that control to Jesus, to give it to him. And then I want you to listen for what God says about you. Because so often fear is based on lies. We're trying to hold on to a position or a title we're trying to build our own kingdom, and we're, we've bought into too many lies. And there's something amazing, I think, that God wants to speak into every one of our lives this season. If we expect Christ, I think he wants to speak to us directly, to us. And if we can listen to what God says about us, what God would say to you, then maybe we can let some of that fear go. Not not what Satan says about you, not what he's accusing you of, but what God says about you. Let the fear go. Relinquish control to Jesus. Give it over to him. And listen for what God would say to you in this season. See, in this Christmas, I think if we do those things, we can expect Christ to show up.
we can expect to meet with him this season. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now. Uh, Lord, I'm just acknowledging that there are people in this room who are um, really hurting. There's real pain, real hurt, real sorrow and loss in this room. And God, I know that this season represents some very, very difficult things for them. And I'm asking that you would just meet them right where they're at. Would you speak into their hearts and let them know that the reason you came was for moments like this, so that you could be with us, so that your Holy Spirit could dwell within us, that we could have a right relationship with you, so that you're not some distant God, but you're very personal. You're a personal Savior. And Lord, I pray that today, as we go from this place, that you would start to expel the fear, that you would allow us just to lean into you a little bit more. Um, Lord, I, I pray for those in the room that are struggling with this fear, but Lord, also, as Peter was up here earlier and, and talking about some of the, um, some of the Thai Dom and the fear that they're dealing with, the uh, fear of persecution, I pray that you would be with them, that you would give them boldness and, and strengthen their faith. Would you do that, even in the face of persecution? God, I pray that in all these things that we are continuing to grow closer to you, that we become people that look more and more like you every day so that you might receive all the glory and honor. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen. Thanks for joining us here at Mountain View Fellowship. We'd love the chance to meet you in person. We gather each Sunday at 9 and 1045 a.m. at 1955 Headlight Road in Strasburg, Colorado. If you aren't able to join us in person, we'll meet you right back here next week. God bless.